Welcome to the Second City Hockey Ice Cold Podcast with your hosts, Adam Hess and Robert Zaglinski. What's up, everyone? Uh, this is the Second City Hockey Ice Cold Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4. Robert Zaglinski here, uh, joined, as always, by my fine co-host, Adam. Adam, how are you doing? I'm pretty good tonight. Uh, tired. Went on a long road trip this weekend, so I did a lot of driving today to get home, but pretty well. Feeling feeling okay despite being tired. Feeling the Black okay. Hawks, the Blackhawks' recent success makes me feel better. Really? Is it that much of a remedy? Let's talk about that. <laughs> Five-game winning streak, Adam. Um, I'm not sure all of their play is perfect, since we're doing this right away. Uh but they're doing the, – the fact that they it's on the backs of Corey Crawford, the fact that they're uh, more or less controlling play Corsi-wise, it's not like it's not the same dominant possession teams that of the Blackhawks of old. Uh, there's a lot of encouraging signs here. Yeah, I think that they're, they're taking advantage of more opportunities and um, they've been able to – like just kind of some of the shifting of the lines and stuff like that um, has kind of reinvigorated the team. Um, the bottom six has been good. Um, like a lot of like the depth players are kind of stepping up. Tyler Mott, um, who's been pretty good all season so far, definitely the best rookie on the team, has just continued to play well. Um, and so all these things kind of coming together for them at the same time, especially in kind of a busy and important week. Um, you know, they played four games this week, so three off days is the first time they've had uh, four games in a single week, um, including the game uh, tonight that we're kind of recording over um, as it's going on on the, the television right now. We're not watching it because uh, <laughs> we're bad Hawks fans. We are um, very bad Hawks fans. Right. But, um, yeah, like that just uh, in a busy week, especially when you're playing three division opponents um, and Calgary, who is a, a conference opponent, like being able to, you know, so far get the six possible points that have been, uh, you know, offered up and, you know, getting all taking all of them. And then, uh, and you know, tonight playing Dallas again, potentially even getting, you know, going eight for eight in the point department this week. Like, as much as you can't clinch the division in October, or I guess it's November now, in early November, that's just too early to even be kind of thinking about that. The points now matter just as much as the points later. And so, like, these points, like, you know, an eight-point week in the middle of, or, the you know, the beginning of November can actually prove to be the difference in the end of April. And so I think yeah. it's, impor- it's important that they're doing this well now. Yeah, and the thing about piling up points in the early season is so you're not exhausting yourself to push for the playoffs in the second half when you need to win more games, when you need to put in more effort. Like we, like last year's Ducks, I feel like that kind of got them. The, the, the wild of two years ago when the Hawks swept them, uh, you have to give yourself a cushion now, and it's working out well for them. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of like a catch twenty two in some ways, and where like obviously playing well now, um, like you know if you build up point you build up a point lead, you kind of create some security for yourself later in the season. Um, some people will kind of say like, oh, they're getting hot at the wrong time. Well, I don't really consider a five game winning streak like you know they're it's not like they're blowing their wad here like this. You know, the five game winning streak in late October, early November is not going to screw them come playoff time. Um, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes some teams kind of thrive in that needing to, you know, push hard for the playoffs and get a bunch of points. I mean, the 2013 Blackhawks, um, or sorry, 2015 Blackhawks, if you remember, they were almost like 
they were in danger of missing the playoffs with like two weeks to go. And they kind of had to kick their shit into gear in that last couple of weeks. And end up, you know, that kind of got them hot to go into the playoffs. But at the same time, it is nice to not have to have to, to not have to do that, to be able to say, we have built a point lead up now, or, you know, we had points stashed up before, even if they're in first place in the beginning of March and finish the division in second place, because Dallas or Nashville or anyone gets hot. Or, you know, if same thing for second, if they're, you know, in second place and fall to third, that kind of stuff. Like, this is why you win games now. This is why they play games in the beginning of October and the season ends in April because, you know, they all count the same. Um, they're all just – they're all points that you can get on the board. So, getting these points now, again, while it's too early to really think about what it means for the playoff picture, it's still sh- – like, it's important to build these up. And so, it's good that they're being able to do it in a, a quick chunk against relatively good teams. Yeah, the Canes and Stars have kind of, like, for example, have kind of fallen off. The Stars are a little injured, and the Canes aren't the same juggernaut. But it's still the competition. It's still, I mean, you play what's in front of you. And and you, as you mentioned, this team kind of, like, as we've become used to, they, they get into a little bit of a lull, whether it's coasting, whatever else, in February and March in a, in the past few – they do that sometimes in the past few seasons. Um but they've always they've always had a good November. They've always had decent enough the, the first half of the season to where that didn't matter. Uh, we'll see that how that develops. Uh, you wanted to talk about it, and I think we should obviously note it. I mean, Corey Crawford right now is an absolute wall, and I think it's it's probably fair to say that he's the NHL's best goaltender right now. He's not maybe not the best goalie in the league. Like, if we go across the 82 games, playoffs, whatever. But he is definitely the best goal in the league right now. Yeah, absolutely. And he um, – I mean, at this point in time, his save percentage at, at 5v5. Um, last I saw, I think Satchel tweeted out that he – over, like, the, the Hawks' four-game win streak, like, through when they were um, playing Colorado, he had – stopped all but one i think it was like 137 of 138 shots in 5v5 play like now it's actually 218 of 222 there you go so that like i yeah because i didn't watch last night's game i had no reception when i was on this road trip but they like you know obviously played well again last night um the hawks get a win and he's he right now like it might be a little bit of a stretch but he is the best player on the blackhawks and he has been such the best player on the Blackhawks that he could be like potentially in that Hart Trophy, like the early Hart Trophy talk, where he like he's the backbone of this team. He's the leader, and he's basically not that. Like again, like you mentioned before, the Hawks aren't doing getting these wins through like dominating possession or just completely outscoring teams. They are taking advantage of things, but Crawford's keeping them in games, keeping the puck out of the net. And he like, this is the best he's looked in his career to this point. I think outside of some, like, like obviously he was insane in their playoff runs. Um, but in terms of regular season, I think that this kind of stretch is the best I can remember him looking. And like right now he is, he's the most valuable player on this team. And I don't, I think that without him, he is, uh, they're, they're, they're a much worse team. And I think he right now is kind of in that, not that the Hawks are necessarily on this kind of level, but he's kind of the carry price, what carry price is to the Canadians right now. I don't think the Hawks would be as bad as the Canadians are without price if they didn't have Crawford, but, but I think it's, it's still, he's still the backbone. Yeah. I, I wanted to note that I think the Hawks are what's different than last year. Cause the Hawks are similarly constructed as the last year to where they have a really good power play. Uh, top heavy on forwards, 
uh, is that they have some young forwards that they can count on, like you mentioned, Tyler Mott, and the defense is helping out more. While Crawford still has to more or less carry the team, there's more support, and this is a more – well, it's a better team. It's a much better I, – I mean, I, I think you'll agree. It's a much better team than, than the 2015-2016 Blackhawks. They're more equipped to withstand – just letting Crawford take 35 shots a game like, and take advantage of opportunities because their defense is better and because of the, these young guys stepping up. I mean, it's, it's heartening. It's, kind of, it's, really heartening. it's really heartening to see like, that Crawford's continuing his hot stretch from last year and that the team is sort of growing into that too, even if they're not the same juggernaut they used to be. Right, and I think, I think the uh, a way I would say it is they're just more well-rounded this year than last yeah, year. Yeah, They have the, – like the depth is there – the they look like a more complete team than they did last year where even with the lack of forward depth that is still kind of glaring like the but right now they're making up for that because of the way that it's been staggered and they can continue to make up for that by staggering lines um you know maybe not necessarily the way that we talked about on the last podcast where we drop artem and isim off to the third line but you know they have options like that to be able to kind of stagger some things um, and, you know, create more offense everywhere. And again, like Tyler Mott, Ryan Hartman, Nick Schmaltz, like these guys are talented young players and they're going to, you know, they've played pretty well thus far. Mott's found the score sheet more than any other rookie, but the the rookies have still looked pretty good and they're going to like the, the this experience is valuable and being on this team throughout the whole season, is going to help them a lot. Is and there, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm, I, I was I kind of lost my train of thought there anyway. So go ahead. <laughs> uh, is there a concern uh, now that the that the Hawks are sort of uh, that the Hawks will Braden Holtby Crawford? I mean, they have a more capable backup than Washington does, but where they're overworking him and eventually the dam the dam breaks. I mean, it didn't really last year, but the, again, as we said, that this is a more well rounded team, so the concern is probably less so. But it's still fair to ponder. I think. I think there's some kind of concern about that, but I don't – I don't think that, that, you know, I don't know. remember exactly how many games Hopi played last year, but I think a couple of years ago he played like 72. I don't think Crawford's going to get more than 60. I think he'll be in the 50s, um, especially because Scott Darling is the kind of goalie that um, if he sits too long when you finally play him, he looks like shit. Um, and, you know, Darling is a capable – he needs to have a little bit of regularity to his schedule. He kind of needs to be playing, you know, probably I would say once every seven or eight games or probably once every six or seven games is more accurate. Um, just make sure that he's kind of in his rhythm um, on top of his game and also just to kind of give Crawford that break. Um, like you said, you don't want to wear him out. Um, you don't – again, it's it's kind of cliche um, to kind of dig into this, but you don't want to use his best hockey too early. Um, which again, if that, if that ends up being the case, that's not, that, you know, it's not like because he's overworked, but you want to be able to sustain this success. And if you're playing him every single night, that's going to be ugly, but it's good. Like, I think one thing that's important is like tonight with Crawford having played last night, Scott Darling starting tonight. So they're not, you know, they're not going Crawford back to back because he's hot. They're staying logical, staying, you know, realistic about it and saying, Hey, we probably should not be playing this guy two nights in a row. He needs a little bit of rest. He kind of needs, like, we need to kind of keep a regular schedule how we would normally. Even if, I think even if, you know, if Crawford was playing like shit, obviously Darling would probably be playing more. But if Crawford was just kind of playing as you expected, this you have to kind of, even when he's playing at an elite level, you just kind of keep that same kind of schedule um, because you don't want to overwork him and you don't want to put yourself in a position where when you're putting Scott Darling in the net, 
you're uncomfortable with how he might be able to play. Yeah, and I, and I think the most like eye-opening statistic of all is that he still has a .936 save percentage. Like overall, that's power play and penalty and on the PK. Considering that the Hawks' penalty kill was absolute utter garbage for three weeks, now I think it's like on a twelve for twelve streak, or twelve for twelve, or thirteen for thirteen streak, or maybe like twelve for thirteen. Uh, that's off the top of my head, so it's much better. And as a final, as another note, before we get to move on to the next um, housekeeping, uh, I think the Hawks are clearly a better team when, uh, if they don't, well, not 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 that they're clearly a better team, but if they don't have. But if they don't have Crawford in, they're still capable. If the Canadians don't have Price in, they lose ten nothing to the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, yeah, I, I don't know if the Hawks. Really I don't know if the Hawks are on that kind of level. Um, that is pretty ugly when they do that. But I think that the most important thing for the Hawks is that they keep Crawford with a regular schedule, kind of keep Darling in the rotation, um, just to kind of give Crawford those nights. Off. Especially, I think the kind of games that Darling needs to start sometimes are when, like, say. Crawford plays like you know they have three game four games in a week and it's every other day giving Darling like one of those three games where Crawford can have like a day off from playing a game that like basically three days off in a row from having to play game hockey just kind of taking warm-ups and practice will be important for him to just kind of stay in a rhythm um, be able to be at his absolute best when he's on the ice and have a good capable backup who is like again Darling is a capable enough backup he's not He's not the kind of backup that is deserving of an NHL starting job, but he's an NHL backup that is a good NHL backup, is serviceable enough, and at his price tag, you're not going to find anything better. And so it's good that he's on this team, and he just needs he just needs to find his way into the rotation a little bit for his own sake and also just that the Hawks don't wear out Crawford too much. Let's now talk about the line match, and you mentioned – uh, our little pondering of moving Anisimov to the third line. Well, the Hawks have done something different. It's where they've put Taze with Kane again, and Panic is up with them, and they now have Panarin and Hosa as wings with Artem Anisimov, and it's worked out, I guess, pretty well, considering uh, the two have 58% Corsi went on the ice together, and Hosa has four goals in his last five games, and Panarin is just an absolute torch on the ice. Every time he's on – every against any competition, I, I think – I'm looking at Panarin's stats too. He has three – he has seven – no. Sorry, counting up. He has seven – eight points in his last five games with three goals. So uh, it's kind of worked out well. And Taves and Kane are looking better to, to uh, daydream nation, whatever anyone likes to call them, look much better and more comfortable together too after being separated for so many years. Think about this. I think the one thing I like is just that, like, when the Hawks, when Quenville kind of reaches, people call it the panic button to put Kane and Taze together. I don't think I agree with that. Um, you know, it's it's only viewed as the panic button because he doesn't do it a lot. But, like, how many teams are there in the NHL that don't play their two best players together? Like, I, I honestly cannot think of that many. Um, and you know, the only one that really comes to mind is the Penguins that, that you know, that's immediate. My first immediate thought is because obviously Malkin and Crosby are both centers. So you can't really play them together. Otherwise you're playing one of them out of position, but like the stars, they played Sen and Sen, Ben and Sagan together. And then like the Canucks for all those years played the Sedins together. And 
Um, you know, even like in Phil, even in Pittsburgh, Phil Kessel, who's an elite player, they wanted to play him with Crosby and that didn't work out. So now he doesn't play with him, but they wanted to try that. And so all these teams are trying their, you know, to put these combinations of their elite players together. The Blackhawks have stayed away from that to, for balance. So going to that kind of setting that up isn't a panic move. It's like a logical move. It's, hey, splitting it up isn't working. Time to put them together and, like, let that be the one line that produces. Um, especially, like like you said, it's it's gotten Hosa like, a lot more success. Hosa has four goals in his last five games. And not that not, and I'm not saying it's because he's away from Jonathan Taze, but sometimes you literally just need a different look. You need a kind of a fresh perspective and different people and just a little like a little shakeup. Like when when what you're doing isn't working, doing something else and like can work. And so when you when you get shaken up, when you get put on a different line, and now you have different line mates who play different style and can have different strengths that kind of thing can benefit you because it's like, okay, how can I adapt to these strengths in order to have success? And how can they adapt to me to have success? And that's what, that's what is happening with the Hawks. And that's a very good thing to see, especially because this is not the first time like this is, or sorry, this is not the last time that the Hawks are going to have to change up the, their line, you know, combinations this year. They're probably going to have to at some point go back to having Kane and Tay split up. They're probably going to have to, you know, do this a couple of times and try to find different combinations. So the fact that it's been working out well for the for them in this recent run has been is very encouraging to me that the shakeup has reinvigorated people. And I think it's also uh, not that we're underplaying it, but it's also people last year obviously criticized Panarin so much that all oh, he's doing it all because he's with Kane. Uh, he's kind of tearing it up with whoever he's on the ice with. In fact. Uh, Kane is actually worse without Panarin than the than vice versa. Panarin, you could put him on with any line, and he's he's at fifty eight percent Corsi, and he's just looked tremendous on both ends of the ice. I mean, he's this is a guy that's probably outpricing himself out of Chicago at this point with how he's playing, uh, and that's probably what's contributing to Hosa's Hosa's success as well. I mean, I mean, we can discuss. Yeah, that. I think. Go ahead. Sorry. Right, and. You know, people people you know use that to discount him, and like you said, it it's it's basically just a load of bullshit. It's not, you know, obviously playing with Patrick Kane is going to make anyone better. Playing with Patrick Kane would make Jordan Tutu better. Playing with Patrick Kane would make Brandon Press better because arguably, Kane, arguably, well, no, because Patrick Kane's a, you know a top three player in the NHL, arguably the the number one player in the NHL, um, unless you know just depending on how you view other players but obviously like he's that without a doubt in that top five conversation um just kind of depends on how people would arrange it i think and he is like he's so good that he elevates the games of other people so obviously panarin's gonna be made better but also artemi panarin is an elite talent and like he he like he elevates game like like you said he elevates kane's play he elevates the play of those around him again because he's an elite talent and playing with elite talent like raises the game of others. And, um, you know, again, the thing, one of the things I actually said, um, I used this when I wrote, when we did the top 25 under 25, I had the one about Alex Dabrinkit. And one of the kind of slight knocks on Alex Dabrinkit is that in junior, one of the reasons he had so many goals was because he played with a generational talent. He played on the line with Connor McDavid and then he played on the line with Dylan Strom, who were the numbers one and four overall picks in 2013 or 2015. Well, if you know that's 
are reasonable enough, like, oh, he's playing with elite talent. But if you're not capable of stepping up, you're not going to step up, no matter who you're playing with. You know, like, you know, if Brandon Prust is not – Brandon Prust is not a 30-goal player. So playing him with Patrick Kane is not going to make him a 30-goal player. That's not like he doesn't have that kind of talent level. And that's really not to even knock on Brandon Prust and, like, use him as a – like, be like, oh, he's a shitty hockey player. It's just that's not the kind of player he is. So, no, I get you. you know, I get what you're saying, yeah. So our, so our Temi Panarin has to have the talent to be a 30-goal, 70-point player. Otherwise, playing with Patrick Kane is not going to elevate him. And so the fact that it worked only shows the talent level of Panarin and like being elevated by Kane is just a plus. Maybe instead of being the 77 point player, top 10 in the NHL last year, Panarin would have been 65 points, top 15 or top 20. Even that is still elite production in today's NHL. And so he is an elite talent. And so having him play with Marion Hossa elevates his game as well. And having like, that's one of the reasons I think that Artem Anisimov has been so effective as a second line center is because he's around Panarin so much, because even when he, Kane gets split from that line, Anisimov and Panarin are basically a, a duo that sticks together. NHL's point leader, Artem Anisimov to right. you. Thank you very much. Very true. Um, yeah. And that's the thing too. People, the people who were saying for so many, for, for the past year or so that the Hawks can't split up Kane and Panarin for balance and it's just kind of striking to me how their old backup plan used to be putting t- putting Taves and Kane together. Well, that's obviously dead. That's just, you know, as you mentioned, putting your best center, best forward together. Uh, and now the now the nuke or now the shift is to, to switch two wins on the second line. Uh, that's changed. I, I think that I think that's that, that's uh, interesting to note. Um, right. And um, and just let's talk. Sorry, wait, just to kind of. If I may offer a hot take here, um, to me, I think like what makes much more sense for the Blackhawks, um, as I mentioned before, is playing Kane and Taze together because they're like they're you know supposedly your two best players. But I like I think you're hard pressed, or I sh- I should say you would not be hard pressed to make a very logical case for Artemi Panarin actually being the Blackhawks' second best forward and actually being a better player than Jonathan Taze in terms of production and a better fit to play with Patrick Kane uh, regularly. And so I think that what makes more sense is for the Hawks to kind of let Taze and Kane be a duo together. And then when they, like, you know, if you need offense, then your panic move is putting Panarin and Kane together because they're your two best offensive producers. So not having them together makes more sense than having them together, in my opinion. Because when you have them together, you're a one-line scoring team. If you split them up and put Kane with Taves, you activate Jonathan Taves in a more, you know, offensive way. And you give that top line a huge scoring threat, that second line a huge scoring threat, and then you have depth with, you know, developing scoring threats in, in Tyler Mott and Nick Schmaltz. And, um, and even, even Ryan Hartman. Right, even Ryan Hartman is, kind of, is a little bit of a scoring threat. And then, like, guys like Tanner Kiro and, uh, you know, other guys, Vin, Vinny Henestrosa, those guys, those kind of guys are still developing and have some skill, like, to their game. And so they can develop into useful NHL players. And so when you're developing that and you can balance that top ten – or that sorry, that top six, that is super important. I think that that's why, like – I would view it much more as a panic move if Quenville went back to having Panarin and Kane together than having Quenville put Taze and Kane together. None of that is a hot take, my friend. I 100% agree with you. I don't think anybody would disagree. I think the hot take part was when I said Panarin's better than Taze. 
he's a better offensive player at NTAs at this point. I mean, we can sure. be honest about that. Overall, maybe not, but uh, that, that that is all, that was also justified. Um, let's talk about that PK uh, because I I'm seeing on Twitter right now. Uh, yeah, they gave up a goal. They gave up a goal, but before that, it was 15 for 15 in the past in the past uh, few weeks. So um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you've watched as much lately. I mean, I mean, as you, as we noted. But what do you think has changed in that they're better in actually not being absolute dog shit when killing penalties? Well, I think one of the big things, without a doubt, has to be like the mental side of it, which as much as it is kind of cliche and narrative, a like narrative pushing kind of to say it's, oh, it's, it's a mental thing. It's a mindset. Jonathan Taze talked about it. He said, it's a mental thing. It's in our heads. And when it's like, when it's in your head, when you when you're afraid of failing, or when you you know when you're afraid of saying this that one thing, you're gonna say that one thing because you're thinking about it. When you're afraid of giving up the penalty kill or don't want to make that mistake, you're going to make that mistake because you're so apprehensive. So I think the Hawks have just kind of said, you know what, like screw this, let's just like go clean slate and say, you know what, we're gonna we're we're not gonna be afraid to make these mistakes. Like we're going to play to a lot like if, a, if we make a mistake because we're overly aggressive or because we're tr- doing what we think we should do as opposed to not wanting to do it and make a mistake that is an important first step towards making having a good penalty kill and I, I just see a little bit more aggressiveness from them um and I think also one of the things I think one of the big keys to the Hawks struggle early on which I don't think like I think was maybe underplayed a little bit but Corey Crawford had an abysmal shooting or safe percentage when the Hawks were shorthanded before. And again, we've talked about how Crawford's been so good, but he, he was not great for them on the penalty kill. He was like, you know, and he was getting beat by shots, like by good shots. Not like he was giving up weak goals, but I don't like, maybe he wasn't seeing the puck as clearly. Maybe it was just more difficult for him to react, but he's also stepped up his shorthanded play. So that's been key as well. Um, but I just think that overall the Hawks just look a little bit more aggressive, which is what I talked about before with kind of getting on the points a little bit more. Their mentality has changed. They're a little less afraid to make mistakes. And it's, so it's not in their head as much. They're, they feel more confident. And then Crawford has just kind of elevated his play. I think maybe in some ways Crawford said, okay, you know what? Like I need to kind of get my shit together, which I don't, I'm not a goalie, so I don't know exactly what, you know, getting your shit together when shorthanded would entail, like how you approach it differently. But maybe that's an adjustment he made, and now he's stepped up and is playing better when shorthanded, and that's helped them as well. Yeah, on on that Crawford note of, of being stepping up on the PK last night against in Dallas, they had a six Dallas had a six on four in the end, and he just absolutely because of a penalty in the empty net, and he just absolutely shut it down. I mean, your goalie, as cliche as that is is your best penalty killer. Um, right. He has to be your, your goal. They, again, we, you know, the thing about cliches is that they're only they're true. Cause they're used so much. Cause they're true. Right. That's exactly like, it's, you know, when you, when you say, Oh, your best players have to be your best players. Yeah. That's a cliche and it sounds stupid, but that's what it is. And your goalie does have to be your best penalty killer because you can, you could have, I mean, you could put fucking, I don't even give a shit. Patrice Bergeron and Jonathan Taze out there together to kill a penalty. But <laughs> if you know, I don't, who's a bad goalie? I don't even know who a bad goalie is. Al if, Montoya. Yeah, there you go. If Al Montoya is in net and he is, you know, sucks ass, you're going to give up a goal. I don't care who's out or there Ted. for you. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of shit, like you just, 
you need to have a goalie that can step up. And so Crawford posting a sub 700 safe percentage when shorthanded is obviously a recipe for disaster for the Blackhawks. Not that he was necessarily the problem because there were other problems, obviously, but he needs to be able to play well when shorthanded as well. Typically, shorthanded, you know, your safe percentage is going to be horrible anyway. But being like, you know, in the 800 to 850 range or, you know, 800 and 900 range preferably, that kind of stuff is going to be – being able to have that kind of play is going to be good for you from your goalie. And so if your goalie's playing like shit, your penalty kill is going to look a lot worse. So Crawford's play, I think, has been a huge you know, step in the right direction and also makes the Hawks feel more confident because they know that they can kind of trust him. Like, not again, not to say that they couldn't trust him before because obviously he's been their best player this year. But to be able to say, um, to be able to say, okay, we, we have this goalie. He is like been playing very well shorthanded. So if we make a mistake, he can cover it up for us. That kind of thing is, is beneficial to be able to trust a goalie that much. And again, I don't necessarily think that that was the problem before that they didn't trust him, but the play of Crawford definitely helps everybody. And I wanted to touch on that. Uh, I wanted to keep like pushing this cliche conversation too. This is with the same thing with their mentality, how they were letting the, their lack of success get into their heads. I think a lot of the times, especially like the guys like you and me and people in, in really as writers, as analysts, whatever, in, in trying to explain what we're watching and finding advanced numbers, we're always trying to find this, this perfectly reasonable explanation through numbers of what's going on. But a lot of the times people will take out emotions out of that or they'll take out how of the factors of the team's morale as, as noting like and getting into their head and – and they don't, and they want, they they'll discount it, and they'll make fun of it. Oh, grit! Oh, this! Oh, th- th- that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But that all of that factors in. That factors in all the time. The, the team's overall sensibilities always factors in. And momentum, as much as we say doesn't exist, it's the same. The momentum is really, if we're being honest, it's that emotion. It's that like failure of lack of success. It doesn't exist in the ways people try to. Uh, say it does in that you score a goal and now you're bound for four more. It just exists more in the overall team just being confident. And they didn't have that. They didn't have right. that for most of October. No, absolutely. Because these guys, like, okay, these guys are professional athletes, but they're not robots. Like, they're human beings, every single one of them. Believe it or not, they bleed the same blood we do. They have this, you know, they eat the same kinds of food. Well, maybe a little healthier if you're Jonathan Taze. But they still, <laughs> like, they're still people. They bleed, they sweat, they cry, they laugh. You know, they have families. They're human beings. So they can't just turn off that human part of them when they're playing hockey. They can't, you know, they can't just, like, give up a goal and all of a sudden they don't care. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, there's emotion. And, I'm, like, you see that all the time. You see frustration. Jonathan Taze is called Captain Serious because he takes the game so seriously. That is an emotion. Patrick Kane is, you know, kind of known as, like, you know, the the party boy thing maybe comes from a little bit off more off the ice issues and things that have happened. But he's also like he has fun on the ice and is viewed as like a vibrant electric person. That's emotion. Same thing with guys like PK Subban and Steven Stamkos and all like all these players that like uh, Alex Ovechkin, when they show like this um this emotion, like how much they love the game, that you know, that's how many times do you see – you really don't see any more that guys score a goal and just go, okay, I scored a goal. You know what I mean? Like they're celebrating because they're happy they're invested. And so when you are invested and you're not playing well, that's going to get to you. That's going to get in your head. I mean, 
Think about when you play games as a kid. If you, you know, played baseball and you haven't had a hit in, you know, you know, the last two or two or three games, you squeeze that bat a little tighter. You're a little more nervous up there, and that doesn't necessarily help you. You have to kind of, you have to try to be able to put that out. But that's part of being a professional athlete, and that's kind of, you kind of have to reach a breaking point there where you go, okay, you know what, we're done being frustrated with it. But you're going to be frustrated with it for a certain amount of time because you are a human being. That's like it's natural to get to let emotions kind of play into it. You know, that's not it's not a personal fault. Like it's like that's that's science. That's like science and anatomy and that kind of stuff happens no matter what. And it's just so people to kind of discount those things um, is, you know, again, it's not the most important thing, but they are important aspects of it. Yeah, it's, and it's to be clear, it's not discounting the kinds of progressions we've made in, in analytics, in numbers, in explaining better how the things we see in sports. But it's, it's more of a plea just to not forget that, to, to, to remember that while it isn't as important as old school people will say it is, it still is. It still factors in incredibly as much as we say it won't. I mean, it, I mean there's no doubt about that. Right. Um, I, think, I think one of the reasons people – avoid using those kind of arguments is because it's the easiest argument but sometimes sometimes the easiest argument is just the correct is the easiest one because it's the right argument you know what i mean like i don't i I don't want to come up with some weird example but yeah sometimes the easiest argument is just (laughs) is just the is just the, the the correct analysis and that's why it's so easy because it's so obvious like if the if a player looks dejected while killing a penalty and you can see it then it's not wrong to go, hey, maybe they don't feel it. Maybe they're not confident. Maybe they lack the, you know, the confidence in themselves. And that does not make it lazy analysis. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just as a final note before we do a little, like a little other wrap-up, Hawks currently losing 1-0 to Dallas. We'll see how that wraps up. We won't have it by the end of this podcast. Uh, another not really not necessarily crucial stretch coming up. There's a game against the Blues, Caps. Uh, hopefully they keep the winning streak going or keep piling up points. Uh, some, or at least be, the young guys working and growing together. Should be some good games next week, though. Like playing the Blues, who last time the Hawks played them, um, you know, the, it was opening night. And we were the there Blues, when they got rolled. We, we were there, and the Blues kind of took over the game. The Hawks kind of um, – the Blues controlled it pretty much from start to finish. The Hawks had two leads, but then the Blues just kind of said, all right, enough of this. It's time for us to take over. So the Hawks are going to be look, look like – looking for a little bit of payback, looking to kind of redeem themselves. They get a big, a big division win over a division rival. And then you have, you know, playing the Capitals who are one of the top two teams in the East. Like they're going to be good games next week and I'm excited to watch them. Yeah, absolutely. Adam. uh, Okay. Just as a, just as a note, we wanted to discuss this Dr. Strange. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. Um, But I imagine you will. You, we are both fanboys. We are both nerds. Uh, How excited are you to see it? Um, so I'm not super familiar with Dr. Strange character, but the, um, the idea and like the, the, the previews I've seen and the reviews I've heard of the movie, like make me excited to go see it because, you know, as much as I'm a DC person, like the Marvel universe is so much fun. The Marvel universe is so good and they, they just continually nail these kinds of movies. And so I'm excited to see it. And it's just like, like the Doctor Strange character within the Marvel universe, which doesn't necessarily have like that kind of like realism feel, but everything just kind of feels like, um, as though it, 
I'm trying to think of the word. Like it kind of feels like it makes sense. Like it's all possible. You know what I mean? It's not it's trippy, but it, but with it, but they somehow they they're able to define it. Well, right. yeah, I got it's it. not it's not too supernatural to be like oh like this is so over the top. You know what I mean? Which sometimes you can kind of get into that way with superheroes. It just feels more grounded, a little more like it's possible stuff like that. Um, and so I think the Doctor Strange is kind of a step away from that, and that it's like oh you just like. You know, from what the, the vibe I get from the commercials is like, oh, if you just like tap into this special brain system, you can do magic and shit like that. That's, I don't know, again, I don't know about the character, so I don't want to sound really stupid by saying that. That's just the vibe I'm getting. Um, but it just, it's, it seems like not, I don't want to say risk, but just something different, which I think is exciting because it's a little, it's a step in a different direction and introducing a new character. Um, it's it's like a solo film. I'm sure there will be cameos and other characters in the movie. Um, I don't well, know who's scheduled. Every to be Marvel in, movie is a setup for the next movie or like right, the exactly. next movie. So and that's how it works. But I think it looks good. I'm excited to see. It. I'm excited to see how this step, you know, where this kind of like moves the Marvel universe set after Civil War because obviously, like, I don't know how much the like what happened in Civil War will play into this. But just with the state of the Marvel Universe after Civil War, it's kind of in question, like what exactly is going on? And so then, um, you know, what exactly is going to be happening with the Avengers? So this, this is kind of a step to get some sort of answer, even if it's just little, even if it's just, even if it's just the end credit scene, it's still like this, the next step in phase three, which is going to be fun, I think. On that uh, trippy note or supernatural note, I think a lot of it, derives from their success Marvel's success with Guardians of the Galaxy to where they saw how that took off and I know you're not necessarily the biggest fan of it but the, but overall like on a general scale it did take off for them and I th and that's not exactly like in their typical vein of other traditional superheroes and that I guess that kind of uh gives them the courage to do this here like for example like in Iron Man 3 um the Mandarin the Mandarin is this crazy supernatural freak, but they hadn't like created with with amazing like ancient powers like in the comics. But they hadn't done Guardians of the Galaxy yet. They hadn't done another film like that, so they didn't have the, they didn't necessarily feel comfortable, at least in my mind, to put one of Iron Man's flagship villains in the last Iron Man movie. Or I mean, I think it's the second to last movie, or, or, or for a well-established popular character, um, and throw people off. So. I mean, this is another nice step in the direction. This is probably a movie where uh, a lot of people will enjoy themselves late at night, if, if you catch my drift. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to see it. I'm looking forward to see it because it's different. Like, as you said, it's different. It's, it, it's, it's, it, uh, it's not as cliche, even if, even if we were just praising cliches a few minutes ago. Right, and I think one of the – I heard one of my friends um, who's already seen it said that like the effects of the movie lend themselves to 3d really well and like he uh, he didn't see it in 3d but he was like i need to go see it in 3d because he feels like it's one of those movies that seeing it in 3d is actually worth it so i'm kind of thinking about maybe doing that um but overall i think it looks really really good um i think again the marvel universe has been so successful um and i i just think it's it's fun to see every step they take especially when it's something new and something different because as much as, as good, you know, as great as Civil War was and knowing like the characters, if every single, like, you know, as, if every single movie is just, you know, more stories with the same character, it just kind of gets old. So introducing new characters and, uh, you know, allowing a, like a new kind of story and 
tying that in and seeing how they'll be able to tie it into the Avengers because obviously he's going like Doctor Strange will become part of the Avengers or uh, you know help them in some way. Um, that is going to be cool to kind of see the way they step into that that in that new direction. Yeah, and if anything, bring a kaleidoscope to the movie theater. That that might right. even work out for you well too. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, uh, Adam. That should just about wrap it up. Do you have any final thoughts here? Uh, no, I do not. Go Blackhawks. I hope they win tonight. By the time people hear this, they will know if they did or not. But I don't know yet. So go Blackhawks and hope they win. And also, I'm not. I'm a not a. I'm a. I'm a White Sox fan, not a Cubs fan. But I gotta say, it was super cool seeing the Cubs winning the World Series. I was super happy for people. Like I know some people say, like it's you know ass kissy to say I'm happy for Cubs fans. But seriously, there's a lot of. I know a lot of good Cub fans who th- deserved to be happy, and that Cubs team was special. It was fun watching them. And it was cool to see how many people were at the parade. That was crazy. Yeah, that's um, a cool sports story. Like, all these people that have been waiting for it so long for their entire lives. Like, like why rain on that, like, parade? Like, that literally once in a lifetime, even beyond a lifetime championship. So, I mean, they're probably in line for more. But it hasn't happened in so long. Like, they, they, should, uh, they should be reveling in it. All the congratulations to them. I'll, I'll double up on that. On that yeah, uh, and I think note. one of the things, like, being a Sox fan, one of the things that – like one of the reasons I was able to enjoy watching the Cubs win the world series and not be one of those Sox fans. That's like, Oh, I don't want the Cubs to win, which I think is really, really stupid is that um, I think we, I said it before, maybe on this, in this space that, you know, Jason Goff said it on 670, the score, which I really agree with him. The high tide raises all ships. And so the Cubs being good is going to be beneficial to all these teams in Chicago. And so it will be good that the Hawks or that the Cubs won. And uh, again, it's, it's good for Chicago, the city, it's it's good for Chicago as a sports town, and it's cool. Um, and, yeah, I'm happy for Cub fans, and uh, hopefully they can do it again, and this is kind of the uh, – maybe, maybe. Well, I was just rooting for them in the first one after this. I don't know. I mean, I really don't – I say hopefully – I don't care that much. I don't care that much. I'm I say saying. hopefully they can do it again in terms of, like, it'd be really cool to see them kind of start – like, <laughs> that be the, the spawn of – a several year run of multiple championships a la the 2010 Blackhawks because it'd be kind of cool to have that like relive that kind of same story in Chicago um but if maybe the White Sox could do that I would be very happy about it but I kind of or 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 prayers up or 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 raise this high tide yes raise 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 my bears please please bears um okay yeah I mean that was a perfect final thought for uh, this has been the second city hockey ice cold podcast for Adam Hess, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at underscore Adam Hess. Follow me on Twitter at Robert Zaglitsky. Follow at second follow Second City Hockey at Two ND City Hockey, uh, and in general, follow all of our work at Second City Hockey. The website, the, the podcast speaks for itself. Uh, Robert Zaglitsky again for Adam Hess signing off. Stay classy, everyone. <laughs>